Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and reading for our text verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Really, dear friends, we have in this chapter a whole chapter given to the Apostle exhorting the Corinthians to give and to help the poorer brethren. They had undertaken a year before this that they would do this and he is writing to them now and using the Macedonian churches how they had given not just a monetary way but given them their own selves to the Lord. Sometimes we may be in a position where we can actually give ourselves in helping the brethren. Our time, our energy, our skills be, as it were, on the front line of helping. Other times we're not in a position to do that and so we only can give money and do it in that way. There are many that maybe are in that position. But either way, and we find the church at Macedonia seems to have done both ways, there is a evidence and fruit of love. And this is what he brings up several times. He says in verse 8, to prove the sincerity of your love. And then in verse 24, uh, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul had spoken of their readiness to give, and now he wanted to make sure that they didn't put it off, but they performed that which they said they would do. I always find it very uh, interesting how the Apostle deals with these matters, he doesn't just assume that those that are called by grace will automatically be cheerful givers or show this fruit of love. In the early church, we do see that they did that straight away. But here, instead of just writing to them, and saying to them, look, you you promised to do this a year ago, you haven't done it, Uh, where is the evidence of uh, uh, your love and of Christianity? He deals with it in a very loving way, and in a way that is used to uh, enforce what he is saying to them, and in some ways we might think, well, Putting one church against another, is that a good idea, a good thing to do? Well, the thing is, they had been willing. They had been willing a year ago. And so he is then using 
one church's liberality to exhort another to do the same. But he doesn't just leave it there. He uses our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as an example as well. And, of course, the Macedonian church, he says in verse 5, that they first gave their own selves to the Lord. And it's as if, as he's written that, he then thinks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself. And so he says in the words of our text, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. As if you say to them, New Corinthians, you are rich. Now for the sakes of your poor brethren, you become poorer, that through your poverty or uh, reducing of your riches, that they might be made rich. And he's picturing the transfer of uh, riches from one to another. And he puts that in the words of our text as the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's children receive of his riches, of that which he has purchased for them. And it is through his condescension, through his coming to this world, through his poverty or being made willingly poor, that there is blessing to the people of God. Now it's good for us where we see the necessity of fruits in our lives, see some evidence of a loosening of our hand of this world's things and a proof that we are pilgrims and we're seeking those things which are above and are able to realise in, in doing that something of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And if we maybe find it hard parting with riches, then to think of our Lord who spoke of the glory that he had with his Father before the world was. So it's a whole chapter really given to exciting these Corinthians to give and administer uh, the uh, provision to the poorer brethren. There's another interesting thing in this chapter as well. The Corinthians are not taking that which they've given and conveying it themselves. They're giving it to Paul, to Titus, to those that are charged with administering the gift. And Paul makes the point in verse 20, avoiding this that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us. As if he almost foresees this charge that they are the ministers of the gospel, they have an abundance and they're conveying it to another, there would be those that say, there you are, you're just in it for the money, you're just getting riches. Sadly, there are those churches and church leaders that that is the, is the case. But Paul here, he says, all we are is a conduit. All we are is a means of bringing this uh, from the brethren that are able to supply the need and convey it to those that need it. 
And we could put that in a gospel way as well. The Lord's servants, we do not have the riches. They're not our riches. Paul, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not the minister that says, well, these riches, they're mine and I'm imparting them. No, he's receiving them from the Lord and imparting that to the people, conveying that to the people. So much better than even in monetary things, but to receive the blessings of grace and the teaching of the word, prized and valued much more than even temporal uh, things and temporal riches. And yet, when we have a chapter like this, we're reminded how practical real Christianity is, how it does look upon the needs of others and minister to the needs of others. But I want to look this evening at the example that the Apostle uses and brings before the Corinthian church to uh, bring them to be a follower of the Lord. And really it's so that they consider the grace of God and what our Lord has done for his people. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He begins with this word, for ye know. And yet though they knew these things, he is rehearsing it again before them. I believe there's many, many times we need to be reminded of things that we actually know already. And so I want to think in three ways this evening. Firstly, his grace in coming to this world. And then secondly, his grace in dying for his people's sin, to put them away at Calvary. And then thirdly, his grace bestowed, that is, through his poverty or what he has purchased for his people, that which is then conveyed to them. If we were to think of it in an, in an overall thing, uh, it would be a sad thing if these Corinthians parted with what wealth they had, but no one received the benefit of it. It didn't actually get to the end user at all and the poor brethren. And so with our Lord Jesus Christ, that which he has done, it shall, to the glory of God, get to the poor of the flock and to the poor brethren, those that need these things. So firstly, ye know, ye know the grace of our Lord in his coming. And none of us, of course, have known it in a personal way of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of the shepherds, they knew of his coming, and those that saw him as dear Simeon, now, Lord, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And of course, those that saw our Lord while he was here below. But for most of the church of God, that which they know of the coming of the Lord 
is that which is conveyed to us through the Holy Word of God, through the Gospels, specifically the uh, two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, of his birth and who is coming, but through the Scriptures that prophesied and spoke of his coming. And it is a blessed thing where what we know is through the Word of God. We're never to despise that, though we have in our hem, we're not to learn God's truth as schoolboys learn their task. Yet may we ever remember that the blessing that the Lord opened, the understanding of his disciples, it was that they might understand the scriptures, that they might know those things that they read, not like the eunuch, understandest thou what thou readest, and he couldn't know it. And so with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that. Now there are many that would say, well, we know about the coming of Jesus Christ. But do they know it in the way that is set forth in our text? Because it is set forth here that he came from being rich and laid that richness down to come to this world. Now there are some that say, well, our Lord is no more than a created angel or a man created. He became a son by birth only, not the eternal son. But the scriptures and our text here tells a very, very different story. It sets forth that our Lord was equal with the Father, and was with the Father. The Lord spoke of the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. If we minimise at all his glory and majesty in creation, in eternity past, let us make man in our own image, and that glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth, then it minimises right the way through all of what he has to give. It would be like saying to these Corinthians, well, you didn't have really riches in the first place at all. But if they didn't, how could they bestow it? And with our Lord, what is set forth here, the grace of our Lord was in his humiliation. It was in him being born of a woman and made under the law that he would redeem them under the law. It is a willing humility, a willing humbling himself and be willing obedience to be obedient even unto the death of the cross. And so his coming, the grace of the Lord in coming, to do thy will, O God, he says, here I am, send me. And the willingness of the Son to come and do his father's will. And 12 years of age, we read, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? His coming uh, to this world and his humiliation in that way is vitally important, a vital part of the preparation and of the provision for the people of God laying aside his glory, coming into that position 
to be able to administer the grace that was needed. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ had the preparation to it. A prepared lamb, a lamb slain in the purposes of God from the foundation of the world. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission, so the Son of Man must take on him flesh and bones and blood of his people, and the preparation must be performed. And what is set forth here, ye know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. While he was on earth, one of the things that the scribes and Pharisees cast at him was, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? They despised him, they derided him, and because of his low station and because of the place, the position that he placed himself in. But that did not take away, in fact that was necessary for the blessing to be bestowed. And the Apostle Paul as well, we know that the churches, they said that his bodily presence was contemptible, his letters weighty and powerful, but just because he was what he was and despised in that way didn't take away the power and authority of the gospel and of the word. And our Lord Jesus Christ, though he lays his glory by, it doesn't take away but adds to what he is to give and do for his people. Now you never think that humility is weakness or lowliness of mind and meekness is weakness. No, our Lord came into that place, brought down low, and the people of God exhorted the same too, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And our Lord Jesus Christ was to walk in that same path. Ye know the grace of our Lord, we may ask ourselves then, do we know it in this aspect? The grace of God in coming. The grace of God in his humiliation. In laying down his riches, his glory that he had with the Father. His coming to this world in the way that he did. For we know the grace of our Lord. Another aspect of this is we may know what he actually did in coming, but do we trace that as his grace, the grace of our Lord? We may know of an event actually happening or someone doing something, but do we know it as a gracious act? a free, unmerited act, a bestowing of help upon those that didn't deserve it, didn't merit it, and freely and sovereignly to do so. Though this is not just knowing what he did, but the spirit in which he did it. 
And of course, with the Corinthians and any that are giving, our Lord spoke of the widow that was casting in the mites into the treasury. And he says that she has cast in all of her living. She has cast in more. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver, and it is the spirit, the grace, that is bestowed in that giving. And that is what Paul is highlighting here with our Lord. Not just that he was rich and yet for your sakes became poor, but you know the grace of our Lord in that. The second thing is his grace in dying, bound up with being made poor. He became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. And the scriptures make it clear he could not go any lower than that to put himself in the place of his people and to be subject to what was their sentence. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The sentence passed upon Adam and all his race. The Lord takes that sentence on himself as if it was his debt and he was to pay that. And in this way, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. There is only one way that God could bestow riches and blessing and grace upon his people and that he pays their debt first. He settles their debt. In a natural way, if we were to settle someone else's debt, we are going to be imparting something of what we have to pay their debts. And that is what is set before us here. Our Lord is truly God, could not part with anything. God cannot change his grace is that which belongs to his humanity, it belongs to his humiliation, to his coming to this world. And again, you know the grace of our Lord. We could know the actual facts, all four of the Gospels set forth the facts of our Lord's sufferings and death. But we could know all of that and not actually ascribe it to the grace of our Lord. But this is what Paul is highlighting here. Not just what was done, but this is the grace. This is how Paul, and of course we finish all of our services in this way with how he finishes the uh, epistle to them here, in verse 14 of chapter 13, the last verse of this epistle, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And he is then highlighting right through not just what the Lord has done, but that it is grace, free Favour bestowed upon those that instead of replying with favour, they 
really turn against him. You know, it was said of Hezekiah, the Lord blessed him, he gave him 15 years added to his life, but he did not render according to the benefit. And I believe all of us would say that know the grace of God that we have not rendered according to the blessing and benefits that we have received. We look upon with shame our works, our fruits, what we have done, how we have acted towards the Lord. You think of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The Lord brought them out with a high hand, a wonderful hand. Were they grateful? Were they thankful? There were times of seeing his praise, but how quickly they murmured, how quickly they charged the Lord from bringing them into the wilderness to destroy them. They murmured for lack of water, lack of manna. They made themselves idols. They didn't appear to be a people that were really thankful for that Passover blood and for what the Lord had done for them. Most solemn thing. And yet, this is what grace is. Kindness is one thing, to show kindness to someone. But if that person doesn't show kindness back, or perhaps even turns and ruins some of our goods, and then we still show them that kindness and that benefit and blessing, that is grace. The free, unmerited favour of God in the face of an active demerit, actively rebelling and going against the Lord. We need the grace of the Lord. And here he is providing that in his death. It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again and sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God on high. And he brings forth the Top stone, he cries, grace, grace unto it. So again we may ask, do we know not only what the Lord has done, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in not only coming to this world, but his death, his sufferings, his obedience unto the death of the cross. And then lastly, in the third place, his grace bestowed. The end result, that in our text he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Through his coming, through his death, through his laying aside his robes, through his sufferings, that is where the people of God are made rich. The payment that he paid, the bestowing of the benefits of his death, makes rich. Again, the emphasis is not just on knowing what the Lord does for his people, taking them from the ruins of the fall, quickening them into eternal life, giving them an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for them, paying their debts, taking away all condemnation, appearing in the presence of God for them and making intercession for them. 
according to the will of God, uh, these blessings and these riches and the provision for the people of God is not only a fact, but it is the grace. Paul writes to the Ephesians, by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The provision in the gospel is a grace bestowed. In the illustration here, there is to be a conveying of the gatherings from Corinth and a conveying to the poor brethren and the churches that were in need. And so it is in a gospel sense there is a conveying of God's grace, a conveying of the blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for his people. And that primarily is through the word of God, through the blessings of the gospel, through the preaching of the word. That is how it is conveyed. And those blessings, they lift a poor sinner up up off the dunghill and put him amongst princes. They give him a hope of riches that are beyond this world and they, when they are bestowed, makes him hold with a loose hand the things of this world. In Hebrews 11, we have the description of those who have true faith of God in that they declare that they are strangers and pilgrims in the earth, that this is not their rest, it is polluted, and they seek a city yet to come, and their affections are set upon things above. Those riches and treasures that Christ has given to his people, they understand those, they value them, they trace them as coming from the Lord, as purchased for them, and bestowed upon them. And here below there is earnest of them, foretaste of them, yes, but tokens of them. We're used to in many things having tokens of something. Those of us that may own a home, we might have a token of that, a title, a title deed. And you look upon that piece of paper, it might have our name on it, well, you can't live in a piece of paper and the piece of paper itself is worthless but in as far as it is a token or an evidence it is of great value and that which the Lord gives his children is of great value as was the uh, cord let down by Rahab to her is the difference between life and death she says give me a true token and they gave her that true token and as she sheltered beneath that it was of great value as the difference between life and of death and may we understand the tokens of our Lord the grace of our Lord we are not to enter into heaven but beyond the grave but here below the Lord has given those tokens of it here in this chapter there is set before us a proof a proof of love 
And in John's epistles, we read that we know that we have passed from death unto life in that we love the brethren. And then we have an evidence as well in James, where James speaks of uh, true faith. And he says in, in, in chapter 2, he says, If a uh, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, if it faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And uh, so he sets forth the same uh, evidence of the grace of God and the love of God in a practical way that the Apostle was setting forth before these Corinthians. The blessings that flow from our Lord. We can understand the idea of money, of food, of clothing being conveyed to someone and they receive the blessings of it. But may we see it in a spiritual sense and the blessings through our Lord Jesus Christ they clothe a poor sinner with his righteousness. His blood blots out their sins. The blessing of his spirit seals for heaven and he gives them what they need here below, grace to help in time of need as we have this morning. And every blessing flows to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He does provide for his church. He does provide for his people, graciously, lovingly, freely, and it flows to us through Jesus' precious blood. And may we know this personally. So what the Apostle says to the Corinthians, he may say to us, ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Lord bless us with that grace and the fruits of it and bless us with not only knowing of what the Lord has done but tracing the grace of our Lord in all that he has done. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.